0: everyone thank you so much for joining this episode of the farm one podcast my name is Ina Tubaleja I am the chief of staff at farm one and today I am joined by Rob and Michael Rob do you want to introduce yourself
1: my name is Rob I'm the CEO and founder of farm one Uh, it's great to be with you to here today Uh, and I'll hand it over to Michael
2: I'm Michael, I'm the Vice President of Corporate Development. It's been a little while since we've done this type of a podcast, so really excited about it and happy to be back with you guys.
1: Yeah, we've been doing crazy stuff on the farm and jumping, trying to run up and down stairs and trying to, we had an internet issue this week, but we've been doing some cool stuff. I'm really happy with those interviews, Um, but it's also nicer to do just a audio only one occasionally, which is what this is.
0: Thank you so much for joining and thank you to all of our audience for joining as well. Um, Today we're going to be talking about a couple of topics on this week's episode. We're going to be going through some industry news, exciting things happening in plant-based alternatives such as meats and milks. We're also going to be talking a little bit about company news, some other companies in the farming and food industry, some updates from there, as well as policy updates and the Civil Rights Act and the Black Farmers. And we'll finish off with some topics around sustainability. So for our podcast today, Michael has pulled some interesting news in all of these different topics. We'll share some of the background information and facts about these topics, and then we'll be sharing our opinions. So Michael, do you wanna start us off with the industry news on plant-based retail?
2: Um, yeah, so as many of you may have noticed, uh, you're seeing a lot more plant-based meats and, and, and uh, milks and other products in the supermarket. Um, earlier this year, the uh, GFI, the Good Food Institute, and you can find them at gfi.org, um, released a market research report of the plant based retail market. And it's an overview of retail sales data for plant based meats, eggs, uh, dairy products, and, and the like in US retail. Um, so, really interesting. Um, and they don't yet have 2020 data because they uh, were compiling all of that still. And I'm sure that'll be an update will be released at some point. Um, but it's looking at. Um, the market up to 2019. So here's what's really interesting. Um, uh, Grocery sales of plant-based foods that directly replace animal products grew 29% since 2017 to reach 5 billion in 2019. So that's a pretty interesting jump, right? So we're starting to see sort of this become nationally a really interesting um, well, I should say a very interesting size of a market. Um, of that, $2 billion uh, of that market, plant-based milks, um, 1.4 billion other plant-based dairy. And what's been interesting there is um, plant-based meats actually comes under a billion, but we've heard a lot about that with Impossible Foods and, and, and others, um, but really interesting. So, you know, first off, let's let's kind of talk about um, you know, is, is this just a fad or is this something real, right? Are we coming after the dairy industry? Are cows worried now? Like they don't have jobs in the future. Like, <laughs> how do we think about this?
1: Uh, I mean, for me, looking at the numbers, it seems like, it's a you know it's a big jump over a couple of years i think it's clear that this is a trend that is only continuing so you know you can kind of extrapolate what the data for 2020 is going to be based on you know the success of brands like oatly and beyond meat and impossible i think they it's likely that they had pretty good years in 2020. Um, I think it's also interesting about the different categories obviously you know plant-based milk is one that sort of has been around for a while because of people with allergies you know lactose intolerance almond milk and soy milk have been around for a while but I think that you know in the sort of popular culture you can see that they're just becoming more and more mainstream and I think that a lot of people don't even consider them anymore as like a choice between eating or drinking normal dairy and drinking plant-based milk. I think it's, it's sort of gone past that point now. Whereas with the meat substitutes, you know, we're still, people are making those decisions. They're saying like, okay, maybe for this meal, I'll have a plant-based meat option instead of that meal. So I think it's a little bit different in terms of the mindset. I was also interested to look at the other categories. You know, you've got this plant-based condiments and dressings category, which is a $64 million dollar, um, sales market which seems pretty small actually um, and then plant-based eggs like a really really tiny um market but but growing very very rapidly and I, i'd be interested to see what happens with those ones um again and i think that you know when we when we think about plant-based options like replacing animal products there's there's hundreds of other products that you know uh they could have effects on like the classic joke for vegans is like going into the supermarket and every time you look at a label, it turns out something has milk powder in it for some reason, you know, and it like Mm. excludes like a whole category of products um, where, you know, the milk, the traditional dairy milk, is an ingredient in that product, partly because it's so cheap and it's so subsidized that people tend to use it in places where they don't really need to, or it's just out of kind of habit that they they can use that. So I think what's going to happen is that you're going to see plant-based alternatives go into those kinds of products as well, which is going to be this sort of hidden side of plant-based options taking care of, taking over. Uh, But personally, yeah, I don't see it as a fad in any way at all. I think it's a, a huge trend. And I think that um, over the next 10, 15 years, you're, you're just gonna see this grow. I, I don't see something on the horizon right now that's gonna stop it uh, when you consider, you know, the environmental reasons, the ethical reasons, and also um, the nutritional reasons that people are making this choice. So, um, so yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, of course, I'm somewhat biased. I'm curious what you think, Ina, about all this. <laughs>
0: I definitely think it's not just a fad. I think that as people become more educated about the environment and efforts for sustainability, adopting plant-based meats and milks is a really easy switch. And totally, like, you know, my my brother is lactose intolerant and has been drinking, you know, plant-based milks his whole life. So, you know, it's just going to become even more popular as we continue to find solutions and creative solutions to tackle some of the issues in the environment. I think that some of the responses that I've seen, um, there's some schools in France that had made the switch to plant-based meats and milks. And it was actually met with a lot of criticism because food is such a cultural aspect in, in this area of France. So it almost felt like the farmers of the dairy farms, of the cow farms were, they, you know, it, it was almost like an attack on them, you know, although it's, it was good intentioned to be for the environmental benefits, it was a challenge for cultural practices. And so I think that there is going to be a future where we see both. And I think that the response from the dairy industry, we're going to see a lot more smaller farms are going to be a lot more transparent about their farming practices. And, you know, to gain that confidence back of consumers that their farms aren't damaging the environment.
2: Yeah, Rob, I think your your point about the milks sort of being around for a while um, is is an interesting one. So that was where, you know, you're over a year i think it was something like around a five percent increase for plant-based milks whereas meat is uh, almost 20 percent. so obviously that's the area of growth there um we're seeing a lot of innovation um you know and and kind of the top of that i, I don't think we have a clear picture yet as to as to the full picture of where that nets out and where that ends up because i don't think we're past the innovation cycle i mean i, I don't know maybe it's fair to say that milk as a whole, um, uh, plant-based milk as a whole, maybe there's not that much innovation, but then it's, we begin to see it as as uh, ingredients in other products, um, plant-based cheeses and the like, I, I would imagine. Um, but with meat, it does feel like there's still a lot of production um, uh, innovation that's to come. Um, with yeah, that. I think
1: you know if you look at plant-based meat as a percentage share of total retail meat, it's about 1% right now. Which just shows that there's a huge potential for growth there. You know, it's it's all it's sort of like electric car kind of territory where, mm. you know, the only way to bet on it is up. And yeah, there might be there will be a point where it sort of plateaus that growth, but I just don't think we're anywhere near that right now. And I think that, um, you know, it's it's not like the news about climate change is going to get better over the next ten years. I don't see I don't see people sort of caring less about that. Um, I think what's going to be interesting, though, is about that price point. What, like, where does it come out? Are there going to be products that are going to be suitable at all price points? Like, how do people who want to get like a who see me as like a luxury experience, like how are they going to get what they want uh, from a plant based product? It's not clear. Um, and, you know, I think that the point that I was making about the the specific farmers, I think, the, you know, the story about farmers is also it's one that doesn't often kind of come through into the mainstream like that farmers are real people and you know certainly dairy farms are often farms that have been kind of handed down from generation to generation and so they've stayed in the same family and so those farmers if they are having to respond to this kind of trend you know that's a big change for them and it's all very well to say hey you should grow almonds instead of cows but it's like okay that's a completely different climate that you need. And that's a completely different farm. It's not really realistic for some of these people to switch over. So, you know, I think those, those kind of ethical and human components are going to be, become part of this story. Um, and at the moment, you know, plant-based milk has this sort of very, very healthy glow to it, you know, branding wise, like there is sort of no uh, downside to it. But I think that it's it's a risk potentially if, if dairy farmers start to sort of band together and start to you know, try to message themselves as as human beings and people who need uh, protection. Like that, it could be some kind of backlash among among some people. I think the other thing that comes to mind about plant-based milks, and um, you know, we're certainly really interested in this, is is around uh, freshness and it's around taste and around all these things. Um, it's still a relatively like immature category in a way where sure people have preferences about brands, but often these brands are sort of the first to market, you know? So, uh, I'm trying to think of like an equivalent product, but you know, when the first MP3 players came out, there was like 50 of them, you know, and then all of a sudden the iPod comes along and it's like, okay, well, that's the one, you know, um, I'm not sure it'll be that dramatic in this market, but Oatly certainly seems to be, you know, trying to take that position. But if you, personally, if you taste Oatly, like the best, I mean, the best I would say about it is it's fine. You know, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But compared to like making oat milk fresh or, I mean, that's it really, that's what you're comparing it to. I don't, I'm not that excited about it. Um, and so, you know, are people going to really, really get super jazzed about Oatly over the next five years after the initial branding campaigns have come in and after the Super Bowl ad is done? It's like, All right. Okay, I get it, but it's still, you know, it's still like this shelf stable product that is has a ton of additives and gums and stabilizers and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's it's for me, for my money, it's much better for the environment than cow's milk or even almond milk. But you know, is it is it the be all and end all? Like maybe not. You know, that's my
0: that's my take. Yeah, and I think I I also. Sorry, I think I know. it's okay. It's okay. I think the challenge also for folks that are making the switch from, you know, dairy milk to plant-based milk, in addition, is that they're comparing it to the dairy milk, where you kind of have to look at the plant-based milks as this product of its own, right? Because it's not ever going to replace it. There are two different products or from two different sources. And so they're never going to taste the same. And so I think that for folks that are making the switch, like, Actually, genuinely assess the products as individual products rather than comparing it or trying to set, find a replacement.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an interesting point, Ina. So back to the, your earlier point about the the cultural issues. Um, you know, it feels like a lot of some of our more challenging societal issues today gets framed with you know culture war with everything, but clearly we're seeing the market respond we're seeing disruptors to the market sort of coming in and and shaking things up. And of course we'll, we'll see some of that backlash, but I'm curious what you think from a meat plant-based meat perspective and meat alternatives, you know, I mean, there are parts of the world where it's a luxury to eat meat or meat is considered sort of a meal you have maybe once a week. I feel like in the U S it's, you know, it's, it's not a snack unless there's a meat between two buns, but you know, it's sort of like, you know, what are the, how do you, how, 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 should we think about the way that, you know, we're integrating plant-based meats? Um, is it, you know, plant-based protein? Is it, you know, is it a matter of coming up with these new flavors and, and
1: fanciful dishes that just didn't exist before? I think, I think there's a, you know, a lot of different ways, um, to, Introduce new ways of eating, um, and personally, you know, my approach has always been: I, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm vegan, right? And if that wasn't a secret, <laughs> I mean, um, so, but I've always taken the position that when I ate meat, um, there was almost nothing you could sort of say to me to make me like want to become vegan or stop eating meat or something like that. There was no way I was going to walk into a room at a party and going into a conversation with someone and come out going like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm gonna ditch that meat. Like, I I don't think that's like how my mind certainly worked and I don't think it's how most people's minds work. I think that it's a mixture of like being inspired and, you know, being motivated through various means, having some time to think about things, um, maybe, you know, just your personal situation, like having the freedom to do that, having the freedom to try things. Um, And I think a big part of that that I've always thought that, you know, Farm One can kind of help with or that, you know, we can sort of show is that there are so many amazing vegetable dishes out there. There are so many great ways to prepare foods and and all that kind of thing. And so rather than someone being worried about like missing a steak, making someone excited about eating, you know, this, that, and the other um, is a, is a much more sort of interesting approach. And I think that the other the other side of it which i i think that people are sort of starting to get a handle on is that historically there was always this it was like all or nothing it was like you got to be a vegan or if you go halfway like oh that doesn't count like you suck like you you screwed up you ate the philly cheesesteak and that means you're not a vegan anymore and i think like that just doesn't work for like many many people and it doesn't work like when they go back home to visit their families for thanksgiving and there's a big turkey or something or it doesn't go back uh, doesn't work when they go and eat together as a family where they you know, there may be a pork dish or something. I'm thinking of the Philippines right now. I know like where, you know, like that is the heart of the family gathering. Right. And, and so giving people options that are more about like flexitarianism, giving people options where, you know, their default might end up being on a weeknight to eat like a plant-based meat alternative or nothing to do with meat at all. But then occasionally, you know, they go and eat some meat, like and not feel terrible about it. I think that's a huge benefit for everybody if they can start to feel that way. Uh, But part of doing that is, is yeah, showing people how to make plant based options. I know one of the sort of big um, problems that some people have about moving to a plant based diet is they literally the shape of their plate like has to change, you know, they have a big hole where the meat was, you know, and if they try to just fill that hole with some fake meat, it doesn't really work, you know, sure. Like a burger is a special situation, but if you think about people who make, you know, pork chops uh, on a Tuesday evening, and they do that with, you know, the pork chops, they got the mashed potato and they got the cauliflower or something. It's a very white dish, maybe some broccoli. Um, like then you take away the pork chops and you're like oh i've got to fill it with a meat based a plant based meat alternative you're going to be you're going to have so much focus on that plant based meat alternative you're going to be like oh wait it's not as good as the pork chops like oh, i don't know about this but instead if your dish is like a stir fry or it's like a you know fried rice dish or it's like even dumplings or something where meat the point isn't meat the meat just adds like a component to it then you're in a whole different ball game and then you can start to you know use meat alternatives and and you can not put so much pressure on that meat, I think is the point. And I think that that way of doing things and even extending that thinking to like, okay, if we're going to make cheap frozen lasagnas, let's put a plant-based meat alternative in there instead of meat. And 99% of those customers are just not even going to notice, but they're going to be happy about the fact that, okay, no one had to harm an animal. It's environmentally more sustainable, probably better for you nutritionally as well. Like that's great. And so I think these sort of slightly more sophisticated approaches is, is where things are going. And I think that they're from a con- consumer perspective, I think it's becoming a great, you know, time to be alive. Like it's, it's like, you've got, you've got everything on that spectrum. And if you're someone who, you know, for whom, like having a very expensive steak on a night out is a special thing to you, I think that's going to be there as an option you know, for a long time to come. Uh, and, but but at the same time, having those other days of the week or those times when you don't, it's not so much about that specific flavor or texture or whatever, you can you can have a plant-based alternative. That's that's a great set of options. And those options like did not exist five years ago and they did not exist 10, ten years ago. And the idea of them existing 20 years ago was just like, you would got to be crazy, you know? So this is a sort of very magical time to be alive. <laughs>
0: The things that you mentioned about like, you know, is is the motivation for your meal coming from a place of like guilt and shame and like I, you know, I'm gonna make a mistake if I don't eat this the right way. Like, you know, you're when we approach our food, we should be approaching it from a positive place. And I think that that's a lot of the conversations that are also happening now as well. You know, the <laughs> there's my my favorite book author, food food book author, Michael Pollan he talks a lot about like the American ideal set of like what a plate looks like. And like, you know, it's always that like one third protein, one third carb, one third vegetables. And like that whole structure does not have to be. And there's another book author um, that I read, you know, you know, you are what you eat, but like more so like, are you gonna be cheap and frozen? Or are you gonna be like, you know, from, you know, given care and given love and lots of thought. But unfortunately, some of the challenges that we're going through, you know, now is like just the access to that, you know, sometimes it's just difficult to get food to certain places. And so like, you know, frozen foods are what's available. And so it's exciting to see also the farms tackling tackling that challenge and just spreading that capability of growing and that access to fresh food to more places.
1: So glad you brought that up. I've got a great episode of the podcast coming out with Kubi Ackerman. Uh, who is an expert on all of these kinds of things. And we talk about that in in some detail, but you know, one exactly that point, like one of the, one of the things we come across is like, you know, it's, it's pretty easy if you're wealthy to eat a really healthy, like whole food balanced diet. It's not easy if you're having to go to a food bank for your food or you're shopping, um, you know, at Walmart or whatever, and you don't have a huge budget to, to spend, like it's, it's kind of tough. And so, um, getting to the point where, you know, we're not just providing calories for people, but we're providing nutrients, micronutrients, etc. Like that, that is where we want to be uh, and we're, yeah, we're not there yet. So when I said like, it's a great time to be alive now, I feel terrible for saying that, but I think that, I think that like those options are sort of starting to become into the mainstream and they are getting cheaper. And, you know, I, I know that Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, like their goal is to reduce the price of their product because you know, it gets them to a bigger market, um, but yeah, that is a it is a big factor.
2: Yeah, I think the social and e- economic issues with all of this. I mean that that's got to be a big topic that I hope that we can continue to push and and keep the conversation going. I mean, you know, my my experience with uh, the Beyond Meat burger you know, outside of the novelty of trying it, I was like, okay, so why even make this look like a burger? And then to your point in, in this discussion, it's like, okay, well, you've got to make it look like something that people are comfortable with. And then you're like, okay, well, it's so processed. Well, what does that mean? So there's a lot here that I think we need to keep talking about that we need to keep sort of shining a light on and, and uh, net, net, it's good. The market's responding. Um, you know, innovation's happening and, and hopefully we end up in a good place. So uh, moving on, a little bit of people news, um, starting with the uh, founder of Odwala in Califia uh, passed away this month. So Greg Steltonpole, uh, he was an innovative juice executive who twice brought progressive environmentally and socially conscious brands to national prominence, uh, was deep in the triumphant second act as a businessman and a force for good when he passed away um so you know you founded i remember in the 90s i was in california i was in san francisco odwala was the brand uh that you went to so you know you certainly heard about that and that was sort of a big push in kind of the organic food um uh, uh and and juices but califia as well his his most recent company rob i know that that was a that's a brand that 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 you know and that you're familiar with as well, right?
1: Yeah, we tend to buy the oat milk um, and yeah, it's reliable. I think we can do a better oat milk, but I think it's a good brand anyway. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's good to see these, well, it's not, you know, obviously it's not, it's sad that that he's passed away, but it's good to see people like this making such an impact, you know? Um, So like he started out as an environmental sciences major at Stanford uh, clearly like a smart guy, uh, but also clearly like having this sort of continual focus on, uh, sort of nutrition and wellness and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, there's, I I think what we're going to see, you know, the hope would be there's more, more Greg, uh, more Greg's on the horizon who are sort of building their own businesses and they're taking this kind of path. And it's, it's, it's clear, like, it's not an easy one. Like Odwala had like the E. coli, um, Sort of, I don't know if you call it a scandal. Like it was, it was a uh, a moment where their apple juice, like, supposedly killed a consumer, um, and made some people sick, and and that was traced back to their production, and and so they had to plead guilty to criminal charges, and you know, paying millions of dollars and things. Um, but you know, they responded to that, and and they learned from it, and so it's it's one of these sort of like really really tough things that they kind of went through. So yeah, it's just like an interesting life story, I think. Um, And, you know, I remember seeing Odwalla like, yeah, maybe not as far back as like 96, but it's sort of one of these brands that kind of always been around. Um, And I guess, I'm guessing after he was less involved, it sort of maybe didn't innovate as quickly as it, as it did. Um, But yeah, it's one of those things that's been around for a long time. Yeah, sad story. Yeah, well,
2: recognize Greg for his place uh, in, in, in our world and uh, thank him for the work that he did that uh, enabled all of us to do some of our work as well. Um, in, in other people's news, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, talking about being vegan before 6 p.m. So apparently she was inspired by Senator Cory Booker. Um, to try to eat more plant-based meals before 6 uh, p.m. Um, And uh, back in 2019, had said during a CNN town hall, I love cheeseburgers from time to time. I just do. But we must also consider what we do in terms of creating incentives that we will eat in a healthy way, that we will encourage moderation, and that we'll be educated about the effect of our eating habits on our environment. You have to do a much better job uh, with that, and the government has to do a much better job with that. Um, so, what do you call this? A flexitarian? Is that is that the term?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I, I think w- what you really call it is being a politician. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ouch. I mean, I think if you're if you're in her position, like it's it's really tough to say that you're going vegan or even vegetarian because immediately you're going to get a thousand angry letters from you know the the I think it's still called the Cattlemen's Association or something like that. Um, You know, so it's tough, but I I think that, and and you can see how if she, you know, she visits one vegan taco place and then she's got to explain, you know, the whole thing. It's like, Oh, why are you in a plant-based eatery? I can, I can totally imagine that she's got some pushback from USDA. Well, not USDA, but farmers in general for doing that. And so, yeah, I th- I think for her it's like a it's the, it's a message which she can send without being too controversial, um and yeah it makes sense that she kind of got inspired by Cory Booker because he's one of the most sort of prominent vegans certainly in the political scene, uh and I love him for that, um but yeah it's, it's, it's it interesting. makes a lot of sense. But I you know, you I, know I, I just like, think like if the government's system, role in defining
0: like what healthy food is. is. You know I'm thinking about Please. like healthy food isn't plant-based or vegan or, you know, meat-based or, you know, that's defined by the individual of what makes them feel good and healthy and empowered. And so I'm just thinking about, like, does this, is this now starting to influence that, like, plant-based is healthy and equating, you know, is there that connotation now? And- you know, I think that because she's saying she's vegan before 6pm, you know, there's still an opportunity to still have meat in healthy ways. But it's it is starting the conversation. And I'm just curious to see how this develops and how government defines healthy food.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tacos. I mean, tacos are just great, right? So you know you want to make sure that's in the on the in the food pyramid in some form what is time? You know? <laughs> i think it's 3am well, tacos well that is 3am before 6pm or is it after like i don't even know oh, where man. it is um yes. no but it's funny as well when you know and i i remember um michelle obama talking about a story where she went to get ice cream and like how that was just a whole thing and, and when these politicians go to visit places it has to be so carefully thought through you know the implications of visiting a place and giving it your so-called blessing you know the, the amount of like background checks you probably have to do to make sure that no one on the staff there is like a convicted of some kind of fraud or something or you know um poor them but yeah, it's great. I think it's great to see stories like this. And I think it's, it's of course, it's going to be something that people complain about. But I think it's, it's great to get that conversation going, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, along those lines, just a quick shout out to our friends down in D.C., Little Wild Things Farms. Uh, right. President right. Biden visited them last
1: week. How exciting was that? Yeah, very cool. That was really cool. I, yeah. I it's this it's this kind of thing where you wish you were in DC sometimes, you know, because then we'd just be on the doorstep. But you know, we get visitors too. So it's nice.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that was great. Great for the urban farming community to get that type of profile. So uh, congratulations, they do great work down there. Um, okay, so on to some company news. Oatly, it's fine files for an IPO and partners with Starbucks. So here's the question. Are they the first plant-based unicorn, unicorn right? Which, by the way, I hate that term, it's stupid. Um, but Oatly, uh, so they filed for uh, their IPO. The estimated value, according to Bloomberg, um, at the IPO could be $10 billion. So their last round of fundraising in July 2020 was valued at $2 billion. And, you know, they've got all of the fancy investors, right? Oprah, Natalie Portman, um, the former CEO of Starbucks, uh, and also Jay-Z. But along those lines, too, you know, you've got, they also announced that they're going to be in all the Starbucks stores. So, you know, I remember when soy lattes were a thing, right? And Silk was the brand uh, of soy milk that sort of, you know, emerged out of that. So, Rob, to your point, it's sort of, you know, can this you know is this sort of the moment is this where the brand rises and becomes a thing and 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 all of that
1: yeah i mean i think making a statement with your super bowl commercial is a good way to get into the homes of millions of americans and this is like another great way so i mean this is huge right getting into starbucks um I don't think there's many bigger deals in the milk world, you know. Uh, I guess McDonald's would be the next one, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, something like that. Um, but yeah, this is a huge step. I, I mean, in terms of like the size of the company, you know, Beyond Meat has a market cap of eight and a half billion dollars right now. Uh, it's got it's sort of gone up and down after an IPO in what, early 2020. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, you know, doesn't seem like a completely unrealistic valuation. I think, that, you know, the, the question then for investors is like, okay, well, well, you know, what does that growth look like over the next five, 10 years? And what does that market look like? Um, I certainly, again, I'll go back to my like Oatly, it's fine uh, comment. I don't know. I don't know fundamentally, you know, if you're an investor, what you look at Oatly and you go like, okay, compared to Califia or something, like, what do you guys have? Um, I don't know. And like, maybe that's something that's just, you know, buried in the uh, investor prospectus or we'll find out when we look at the S1. I mean, certainly it doesn't seem like a silly valuation and certainly it doesn't seem like a bad company Um, and compared to, you know, a few of the IPOs that we've seen like over the past few years uh, or the S1s, like like a WeWork or something, this is not that, you know, this is a perfectly reasonable technology. And this is obviously a brand that's captured a lot of attention. And And I think that the Super Bowl ad was in a way like a sort of, hey, we're here um, in preparation to talk about an IPO later, which which makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
2: Um, so following that too, Danone announced that they're uh, uh, releasing a new line of plant-based uh, coffee creamers called Honest to Goodness. Um, I'm curious. So, you know, they're coming after this as well now, as as as, we're, as we've are as we talked about. Do people drink milk as a standard, these plant-based milks as a standalone, or is this going to be, you know, the sort of for your coffee, for your tea, maybe for your cereal, maybe for other products? I mean, are we doing away with drinking a glass of milk, you know, as part of your breakfast or whatever?
1: Yeah, I I don't drink glasses of milk. I don't think I know an adult who drinks glasses of milk. I guess number one time for me to consume milk is in my cereal. Uh, I don't drink coffee, so it doesn't go in there. But yeah, that's... I mean I guess certainly people do. I'm trying to
0: look I, up I do know that some folks after they do a big marathon or a big, you know, athletic event, the first thing that they do to refuel is drink a cup of chocolate milk. So that's sometimes that I, I that's some instances that I've heard of adults drinking milk.
1: Isn't this like a, a, a rumor though that the chocolate milk people started that bodybuilders yeah. should drink you know more about this, right, Michael?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think part of the whole got milk campaign, which by the way, they're, they're bringing back, right. It's sort of the whole, you know, uh, and then you got the milk mustache, but there, I I think it came out of that because if you think about the breakdown of that, it's, I don't know that there's a ton of nutrients in chocolate milk that, that, you know, are, are necessarily sort of recovery based or anything like that. But yeah, I've, I've heard that too. And I've seen that and you know, I, I feel like maybe that's part of the marketing machine. But anyway, point being, plant-based milks—it's a thing. It's coming. We're gonna have a lot of alternatives. For those of you that want to desecrate your coffee and put milk in it and make it make it terrible, you know, that's your choice. Do it. Um, but we're gonna have more alternatives there. I think coffee should be had black. But okay, so onto the policy section. So this is pretty big news with the uh, recent uh, American Rescue Plan. Um, There's a relief bill. Uh, There was an article in the Washington Post. Uh, The headline is relief bill is the most significant legislation for Black Farmers and Civil Rights Act. Um, It's a really interesting article. And if if you have any interest in farming and, and the economy, Um, and social justice and race relations in this country, it's worth digging into. The numbers are are sort of kind of shocking. Um, But top line, um, $10 billion of a $1.9 trillion bill, the American Rescue Plan, um, is set aside to support agriculture. Approximately half would go to disadvantaged farmers, uh, according to estimates from the Farm Bureau, uh, which is an industry organization. About a quarter of disadvantaged farmers are Black, and the money would provide debt relief as well as grants, training, education, and other forms of assistance aimed at acquiring land. Now, there's a lot here that's pretty heavy um, that has to do with the history of the country, that has to do with the history of farming, um, but uh, you know, the the net net is Black farmers in America have lost more than 12 million acres of farmland over the past century, mostly since the 1950s. Um, there's s- systemic racism that exists in the industry. And part of the problem with what's happened with, from a policy perspective is that many Black farmers don't have a clear title to their land, which makes them ineligible for certain USDA loans to purchase livestock or cover the cost of planting um, and they don't really get the same types of uh, subsidies or, or uh, trade mitigation compensation. And over the years, that's led to something in the region of um, white farmers now accounting for 98% of the acres uh, of farmland in the US. Um, so, you know, when, when you look at those numbers, though, 10 billion out of 1.9 trillion in a bill, um, you know, you, you could be a little cynical about that. Um, but you know, uh, the other side of it is at least it's a step in the right direction. So, Aina, what what do you what do you think? Uh, yeah, I know you've you've been spending time reading on the issues of the history of uh, uh, agriculture in the U.S. And, and and that. So, what are your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, I think that this is definitely the step in the right direction. The lack of ability for Black farmers to build generational wealth since emancipation and reconstruction has just made it really, like, it's just so challenging to become become a farmer with that kind of racial identity. And so I think that for this kind of financial assistance, it definitely helps with alleviating some of those pains. It, of course, doesn't fix any of the things that had happened and how traumatic and, and terrible agriculture in the United States, you know, that, that terrible foundation. And so I think that there's a lot of work still to be done in that area, but I think that, you know, financial assistance is, is definitely needed. So I'm glad to hear this, this type of yeah, news. Yeah,
1: it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, this makes me think instantly of the 1619 project um, from New York times where they, You know, went into detail about a particular farmer's difficulty with dealing. I mean, it's not directly with the USDA, but essentially with the set of groups that were making decisions about who had access to loans and who had access to early money before the season, as opposed to late in the season, and even that simple change of getting your loan approved earlier being a huge factor in your ability to have a productive farm season because you need to order your equipment and your seeds and your fertilizer and all this kind of stuff. Um, And that just showed like a very, very, very small way in a relatively modern time. I mean, this was, you know, just a few decades uh, from now, like having, a, still having a huge impact. Um, and that those decisions being made based on the color of this person's skin and, uh, it being, you know, part of like this whole catalog of, of issues and problems and, and racism that has gone back, you know, hundreds of years. And so those numbers, yeah. When you look at the numbers in terms of the amount of land lost by, uh, black Americans over the past, you know, uh, four centuries, um, you know, it's just an immense amount of land and those proportions of people, you know, farmers, black farmers making up, you know, I think the the numbers were sort of more like a million farmers or something like that was I? am I right on that number? Um, Yeah, 1 million farmers a century ago, and now only about 45,000 black. I mean, this is just a huge, huge, you know, drop. And so, yeah, I think that overall, you know, these kind of policies, the American rescue plan are good things. I think that it would be nice, you know, my my personal hope would be some more direct reparations, you know, but that becomes obviously a very, very complicated political issue that no one seems to want to attack right now. Uh, But I think it's inevitable that there becomes more of a direct um, approach that helps black farmers directly. But, you know, overall, it's it's obviously a good thing, but I think we need to see more.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, this is just the start. So I, I think there there certainly seems like um, some a, a lot of interest and in, in a lot of energy coming from the current administration um, to prioritize this. In, in agriculture. And I think, you know, like we were talking about with President Biden visiting Little Wild Things Farm, um, hopefully we're also seeing that work in, in some urban farms and urban settings as well. And of course the scale is very different, but uh, you know, I think we're hopefully gonna see that be more of a part of the food system. Uh, last piece of news, sustainability. I wanted just to highlight this really interesting company we came across called Chop Value. Uh, ChopValue.com. They're actually based in Canada, um, which maybe <laughs> getting their products here isn't that sustainable. But uh, more on that in a second. What was really cool about this is they're harvesting urban chopstick waste. So every time you order uh, from an Asian restaurant, uh, so Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and you get those bamboo chopsticks, they harvest those used chopsticks and process them and make them into products. So things like tabletops, uh, I ordered, for example, a phone stand, uh, just cause I don't need the table chop, but I, I wanted to support them. Um, but I thought that was really cool. So, you know, as an entrepreneur out there, solve this problem, you know, are there ways that they can recycle and reuse and, 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 you know, make something of, uh, product that seems to be quite abundant, as is in, you know, particularly during the pandemic, a lot of takeout, a lot of chopsticks, I'm assuming. Um, but the other thing that's kind of interesting are the franchising opportunities. So, you know, their approach to um, creating micro manufacturing facilities uh, all around the, the world where uh, they're harvesting these chopsticks and, um, and turning them into reusable goods, I thought was quite interesting. So do check them out.
1: Yeah, really cool. I was looking up uh, how many chopsticks are used in China every year, disposable chopsticks. What do you think the number is, know?
0: It's in the billions.
1: It is in the billions.
0: <laughs> so I know that there's nine digits at least.
1: <laughs> yes. That added no more information. To your <laughs> answer. Um, there's about 45 billion pairs of disposable chopsticks produced just in China every year. Uh, I don't know... And in Japan, there's 24 billion used each year, which is equivalent to almost 200 pairs per person per year. That is insane. Wow. 200
2: pairs per person per year. So you're eating (laughs) 200 meals with disposable chopsticks in Japan.
1: And you know what is heartbreaking is that most of the time when you get your disposable chopsticks in Japan is they come in a little plastic pouch, which is a non-recyclable... You know, I was probably LDPE or something. So uh, double whammy. But yeah, I'm I'm glad to see uh, things like chop value. I I want to see more like more fun, sustainable, reused stuff. You know, I think there's boundless creativity that can be unleashed to reuse things, and I love to see it.
0: I love the redefinition of waste too, because you know, the more creative that you get. What is waste anymore? Is is there waste, or can we just make the, continue to use things?
1: It's like the Baldor thing where they don't say scraps; they say sparks, or they don't say waste. It's like everything is, and it's an acronym. I can't remember what it is, but it's like reused. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, stop stop wasting.
2: Reused. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for the news. <laughs>
0: right. Um. Thank you so much to our audience for tuning in. And we hope to see you all next week.